listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Today, we are doing a deep dive into the outlook for electric vehicles based on BMO Capital Markets' recent report titled Recalibrating EV Sales, Lithium, Nickel, and Cobalt Demand Estimates Higher. I'm Camilla Sutton, MD in Equity Research, and I am joined by three of our analysts and authors of the report, Joel Jackson, Robin Fidler, and Colin Hamilton. Robin and Joel, let's kick it off with you. BMO just updated its EV forecast. What were the major changes? And how should we be thinking about the core drivers of demand? For sure. So following really strong global EV sales year to date, as well as more aggressive OEM EV target announcements in recent months, we increased our expectations for EV sales across this decade as well for this year. So more specifically, we now expect 2021 EV sales of around 5.9 million, which implies about a 7% penetration rate. This is after exceptionally strong first half sales of around two and a half million, which is already at a, about a six and a half percent penetration rate. Just for some more context, last year's sales were just over three million for the entire year. So a really strong start for EVs this year so far. We think the better than expected adoption level is a function of the larger number of new EV model introductions over the past year or so from a larger number of auto OEMs which is allowing for greater optionality and affordability for customers. Moving to the rest of the decade, we raised midterm EV sales estimates by about two to three million per year, and now expect 14 million sales in 2025 and 28 by 2030. This is partly from a higher base following our 2021 revisions, but also given more aggressive OEM EV target announcements in recent months. Our estimates still imply roughly 70% of aggregate OEM targets are achieved, which is consistent with the forecast methodology that we've used for years. Joel, you're an expert in lithium. So what does all of this mean for lithium? Well, Camilla, obviously with the higher expected EV penetration, we're raising our lithium demand forecast. Now, there's a lot of supply coming on, but we see lithium demand growing at about a 19% demand taker now uh, across this decade. So we still see lithium in oversupply in 2025, this is going to help this higher EV penetration rates help to moderate that oversupply. You know, this could turn to being a very tight market by end of the decade, uh, which should give room for a handful of new entrant or incumbent projects that we're not yet modeling. Um, and there's a lot of projects out there. So lithium's not rare. Um, you know, in the short term, lithium prices have been absolutely on fire. We're seeing spot lithium prices really approach 2017 highs with EV demand so strong this year. You know, we would not be surprised to see spot pricing moderate next year with a lot of new supply coming on. Um, but that still likely means that the companies that we follow, which largely do contract sales and price lithium sales a year in advance, will probably see higher price realizations next year, uh, even versus this year, uh, even if spot does moderate. You know, so we could see lithium prices be eleven to $12,000 a ton across the decade, a little bit lower than now but certainly more than double the floor prices we saw only a year ago. Joel, why don't we keep going on that a little bit? We have seen lithium stocks valuation advance sizably. How do you see the equity side playing out over time? Right. I mean, in the material space, lithium stocks have really been outperformers this year. We've seen quite strong performance. We actually raised our target prices this week on many of them. I think now 
these stocks are starting to price in, of course, very high valuations, you know, certainly more than 20 times EBITDA multiples on several years out. We think that these stocks are now starting to price in 2030 scenarios. And I think for these stocks to continue to run, you have to believe, you know, in that they're going to see triple and quadruple the demand across the decade. And the market's starting to say that and see that. Um, but um, as long as the demand continues to continue as it is, people will apply these higher multiples. Uh, they're certainly not cheap, but there's very few ways in a liquid manner to play the EV thematic and lithium stocks like Abamal and SKM and others are the ways to do it. And, and these thematic stories have really attracted investors. Colin, over to you. What does this mean for some of the raw materials? Nickel, cobalt, these are big things used in EV batteries. What is their outlook? Thanks, Camilla. Well, for nickel and cobalt, the impact is not as dramatic as Joel has talked about for the lithium market. But still, uh, we are looking at electric vehicle batteries being the key growth areas for both these commodities over the coming period. Um, We've added about 50,000 tonnes or so to our annual nickel consumption estimate on the back of our EV upgrade and give or take about 10,000 tonnes to cobalt. Uh, Some interesting dynamics this drives. For cobalt, for example, portable electronics have been the dominant end use for uh, the best part of the last 15 years. For the first time this year, electric vehicles will usurp portable electronics and of course will continue to drive forward by the end of the decade. We're looking at cobalt into EVs being three times the size of that portable electronic market. In the short term, what is interesting, uh, Chinese demand has been strong and it's left the raw material chain quite tight. We do expect to not lift the cobalt prices by the end of the year. In terms of nickel, stainless steel is still the big end use sector, but we're looking at EV battery demand for nickel rising to a million tonnes by 2030 now. Uh, That is roughly equivalent to the size of the global nickel market about 20 years ago. So it shows the extent of growth we have. Now, with the remodeling, we've ended up with a nickel market in deficit over the coming years. And from a battery chemistry perspective, it means perhaps this shift towards high nickel cathodes may have to start being reversed uh, over the coming period. One other point I'd I'd just like to note is on on copper. Your average uh, electric vehicle is somewhere between three and four times more copper intensive than an internal combustion engine. So on a revised forecast, now copper into electric vehicles becomes larger than that into the internal combustion engine cars by 2027. So by the end of this decade, and that does not take into account all the copper that will be needed for charging infrastructure. So definitely strong growth driver for all these markets. Robin, run us through with the bull and what the bear case is for electric vehicle transition. Sure. So I'll start with the bull case. I think there could be an inflection point in the market from both the consumer and the automaker. So let's unpack that. On the consumer side, I think a rational car buyer today has to be much more forward-looking. Consumers typically replace their vehicles every 5 to 10 years or so. I think most consumers can recognize that the market is heading electric with all the announcements from governments and automakers planning to stop selling EVs by 2030, 2035, 2040. Consumers buying IC vehicles in the next few years might not get the same value for their used vehicle when they're trying to replace it down the line. This could spur EV adoption quicker and more sharply than people might expect. And on the automaker side, selling a vehicle to someone requires a multi-year commitment for service, maintenance, spare parts, all that. So I think automakers that prolong the transition to electrification might struggle with diseconomies of scale trying to manage both electric and traditional powertrain production and support systems. We're actually seeing automakers try to one-up each other right now with how quick 
they're planning to shift to become more electric. The difficulty, of course, is predicting when that inflection point will be, how sharp it'll be, and how it might differ by region. Regarding the bear case, at least would occur from supply chain constraints. Can the supply chain react quickly enough to adapt to potential demand? The EV supply chain is obviously very complex, particularly with battery manufacturing. There are many, many steps that are all interlinked. Not only does there need to be enough raw material supply, but the supply chain must ensure the safety of the end product as well. Colin, what are the EV supply chain complexities and why is China so important in all of this? Yeah, thanks, Camille. It's always an interesting one because um, it's a growth area, clearly, and there's lots of uh, dynamics that, that are taking place all at once around cathode chemistry, around size. And I think part of the misunderstanding on electric vehicles when, for example, the thematic started to take off was that everyone would do exactly the same thing and everyone would trend towards using the same batteries and, and the same sort of setup. Well, that's obviously not the case. We're having a portfolio of battery types of applications coming through. And with that, what you're seeing is a segmentation of the value chain whereby uh, certain battery manufacturers, certain OEMs, certain car companies are forming partnerships. And I think you'll see that continue, particularly given the, uh, the intellectual property involved. Now, this is a complex one for, for commodity markets in that uh, it, it means you get a bit of uh, locking in of, of security of supply and people scrambling for material. And last, the party may struggle to find a dancing partner if there's not the raw material available. So that is an important thing to think about. The other thing, of course, is parts of the value chain don't necessarily talk to each other as well and, and work on different timelines. Cathode chemistry and batteries changes all the time. And we can talk about now what it might be for the next two or three years. But on a five-year view, well, there's a lot of uncertainties. Whereas to build a mine takes at least three to five years these days. And that's often in a best-case scenario. So that natural dislocation in terms of timeline makes it hard to get approval sometimes uh, from the, the material extraction sector. The other thing about China, well, this is one of the areas where China's got a bit of a jump on the rest of the world. China really dominates the midstream of the battery value chain, whether it be a cathode or precursor manufacturer or whether it be battery assembly itself. And what we've seen is one of the areas where China is leading in innovation. Uh, we've seen sodium ion batteries, for example, starting to be commercialized there in recent times. That's obviously more important for the energy storage market. But you can see that that's where the jumps are coming through. And at the moment, if you want to secure battery supply, well, China's the natural end market people are looking towards. And it, as I say, it does control somewhere around 60 to 70 percent of much of that value chain. We are looking towards reshoring. I do think that we're seeing gigafactories now pop up uh, around the rest of the world, and that will lead to uh, more segmentation of these value chains on a go-forward basis. So with all the excitement with EV, Robin, can you shed some light on what happens at end of life for EV batteries? Sure, Camilla. So a battery reaches end of life when it can no longer be used for its original purpose, and this is mostly for safety reasons. For EVs, this is expected to happen after 8 to 12 years of use, depending on things like driving and charging habits. And at this point, there are basically three options. The first is that the battery can simply be sent to landfill, but this is potentially dangerous and it has a high opportunity cost. The second is that the battery could potentially be reused in a less demanding application like energy storage or charging because there's actually still some residual battery capacity left at end of life, just not at levels needed for EVs. I think there could be a niche market for reused batteries, 
but there are still questions around long-term performance and customer acceptance, notwithstanding the fact that it's not as simple as taking out the battery of the car and then using it somewhere else. Uh, the third end-of-life option is that the battery can be recycled. The goal here is to recover the underlying raw materials like cobalt, nickel, and lithium for resale. Battery recycling is, of course, a nascent space today, but it certainly has promise as an economic and practical end-of-life solution with the potential to be an alternative source of critical raw material supply as well. To close out, as EV unfolds, can you speak to one area that you are watching closely over the next year? Sure, Camilla. I think for me, it's watching to see how the U.S. EV consumer uh, develops. Right now in the U.S., about two-thirds of auto sales are um, made up by trucks and SUVs. Next year, Ford is launching the uh, electric F-150, and Tesla is launching their Cybertruck. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see the uptick in that consumer demographic, whether or not they will want to adopt um, EV trucks or not. And as well as to see how, how much range really matters for the U.S. consumer. And this could have knock-on effects on technologies like LFP, uh, which don't necessarily provide as much range, but have different safety and uh, affordability benefits. Um, so I think that will be very interesting to watch as the, as the U.S. consumer. For me, I think the governments around the world and their approach to regulation of EVs will be crucial. They're the ones who really have to incentivize the development here and give the next kicker to make them the dominant technology. And obviously with the COP26 summit coming up in just a couple of months from now, I think we should get more clarity on individual government targets. And you may even get a little bit of one-upmanship between the countries themselves to try and push those targets higher and further gain critical mass in the industry. For me, I think it would be to see if we see more partnerships, partnerships between OEMs and raw material suppliers, or partnerships between battery companies and raw material suppliers, to see if we get more integration uh, through the design process of the cars and the supply chains. Colin, Joel, Robin, thank you very much for joining us today. We've covered a lot of ground on the outlook for electric vehicles, as well as the commodities behind them. That was Colin Hamilton, Joel Jackson, and Robin Fiedler from BMO Capital Markets Equity Research Team. BMO Capital Markets is proud to be able to look, deliver thoughtful analysis of upcoming sector trends that will prove important to client investment decisions. If you enjoyed today's Intune podcast, please do subscribe and rate it. Thanks for listening to Intune presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.